Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Oh, welcome back to the recap. This is the October 29th episode. First and second kings or just second? Kings? Just second kings. Second kings. First, first Timothy. Timothy and first the very beginning of second Timothy. Oh, there are some this, good things. Yeah, this section of Psychic Kings has some really cool stories and some <laughs> story, some stuff that you're like, forget. I feel like the way it ended this week was not pretty. Um, the story about um, Elijah's servant or um, Naaman, no, Elijah, Elijah's, Elisha's servant who went back to get um, payment for what Mm -hmm. Elijah had done or what God had done was Mm -hmm. a really interesting, like he was a faithful servant. Yeah. It's just one of those, like, God isn't fair. And then you're like, oh, he's totally, you know what I mean? Like you have these moments and you're like, that doesn't seem, that seems harsh, you know, or the bear that comes out and um, kills the kid. Like he, Elijah calls the bear out and it kills all these like, that was, yeah, that one is, there's a lot of like, yeah. Yeah, God is harsh. This is like for real. Um, so that was significant. And then I felt like in the end of chapter or middle of chapter six, where it says, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, should I kill them? Should I kill them, my father? Elijah replied, don't kill them. Do kill those you have captured with your sword or your bow. Oh, do you kill those you have captured with your sword or your bow? Set food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a big feast for them. Like he wanted to kill them in one breath. Elijah said no. And the king prepared a big feast for them. And when they yeah. had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. The Armenian raiders did not come into Israel's land again. Yeah. Like what? I know. I have like, <laughs> that's such a cool thing. And wasn't yeah. that the one we just recently talked about that whole scene when I think we were thinking it was like previous to this, unless there's another one that I'm not remembering where where Elisha, he says, open his eyes and he sees like all of the armies. Didn't we just talk about that recently? Annika. Yes. I, and I went back and I could not find it. It happened with Elijah. Right. And now it's happening with Elisha in this. Oh, in these chapters. I don't, I, don't re- I was thinking like when we talked about it, it was like, I don't remember ago. reading it. I, yeah. But I don't remember reading it. I remember you like using it as an example or something. And I thought we talked about it from like, like way back, like Moses era. But oh, I don't remember. That's what I that's what I have in my head. And so because then when I saw this, I'm like, oh, this is the, this is the what we were talking about. This was the one that Aaron was trying to remember. Well, maybe all I know is I felt like a crazy person because I was like, I feel like I literally read this two weeks ago. Was that it must have happened with Elijah, yeah. too. And then I went back to look at it and I could not find it anywhere. Yeah, so I, I don't remember no reading idea. it, but we definitely talked about it. OK, it was like an example. OK, um, yeah, well, I was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So I loved at the end of chapter four, when the stew is bad and they don't know what to do, there's death in the pot and Elisha sprinkles some meal. And I love this just echoed Jesus new Testament, like his miracles to me, just simply that when 
there wasn't enough. And Elisha says, just pass it around. There's plenty. And then there's leftovers. I just, it just made me, it's fun to see. Yes. It's fun to see. Um, that was one of the whole like proofs of Jesus being who he says he was, is that he showed up and did things that the prophets had already done. And so this is like one of those stories that the Israelites knew as something, this great prophet Elisha had done. And Jesus shows up and is like, easy. Got it. I can do that. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yep. Prophet, priest, and King. He shows all all three. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I have a lot. um, I have a lot underlined in chapters seven and eight. I have um, shortly after that part in six that I was reading, I just felt like there were metaphors everywhere in this actually starting in seven. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow at Samaria's gate, six quarts of fine flour will sell for a half ounce of silver. They're in this like severe famine. Mm -hmm. And the King actually heard about the woman and her great pain about her sons. And like these two kids that are, you know, I know about the, the woman who Solomon says to cut the baby in half, Mm -hmm. but I, this is like a, almost a like opposite, you know, with Solomon's, it was like an, it was an example of his wisdom. And in Mm -hmm. this, like, because these Kings have become so depraved and they're just like the rest of the world, practically at this point, you see that this woman is coming with kind of a same, like, this is not fair. Like this, right. Her baby agreement. Yeah. We ate her my baby, but we haven't eaten it. It's so gross. Like there's so much in these chapters that just get grosser and grosser. Like the heads that they bring in baskets and put at the Mm -hmm. gate, pile it up at the gate. There's so much grossness in this chapter. Anyway, the guy, the King comes to Elijah. He's mad at Elisha because Elisha's the prophet. So he must be the one that's causing all of us. And this is how bad they've gotten that they completely forget that there's a God that they Mm -hmm. worship. You know what I mean? That it's Mm -hmm. actually the one responsible for this. So they're looking at Elisha and they want, and the King wants to kill Elisha because of these terrible things happening. And Elisha's like this time tomorrow, not only is there going to be an abundance, but um, you're not going to see it. He says to the messenger, mm-hmm. I thought he said it to the King, but he actually says that to the messenger. Cause the messenger doubted, I guess. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, God, that there's something about the way that God does this. So the, so these lepers, one, it's the lepers who are at the gate and they're like trying to decide what they should do. Like we can go to the city, but we're not going to eat, or we could go out and we're not going to either way we die, but right. I think it may be better to just go out into the wilderness. So they go out into the wilderness and they find this camp empty. So one it's lepers. God uses lepers to do this amazing work mm-hmm. uh, to, to find this. It's their faithfulness and their own like search for survival that God mm-hmm. provides. Then they get to the camp and they're pilfering. I mean, plundering it. And then they look at each other and they're like, this isn't right. And they turn from their ways. Remember that? Yeah. Part of the story? We're going to get caught. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, well, this is, a, yeah, this is not right. And we're going to get caught. We can't do this. And so they go and they tell the King about it. Mm-hmm. And then they go back and this is where, this is where they find that entire camp's worth of, um, just flour and food and silver and gold. And uh, suddenly like everything is restored to this Israel because of, mm-hmm. because God did it. God right. did it. Yeah. And, uh, 
anyway, so there's just so much, again, metaphor for what happens in Jesus's time where it's like, it's the least of these that go and find the treasure. Like it's the lepers that find Jesus. It's Mm -hmm. the sick who find Jesus. It's them who find that there's an abundance and access to all that is the Kings, Mm -hmm. um, outside the camp. It's the margins. That's where we find, that's where God provides is to the people who are the most desperate for it. And just that their hearts were inclined to evil, but they didn't like, I don't, there's just, that's so precious that they were mm-hmm. like, no, we're going to go back and do this. Right. I don't, I don't have a lot to say about it. It's just, is something that I, I think about, like, that's just mm-hmm. a really, I can see that I can, I I've been there. I've been in a place where it's like, I'm doing it all wrong. And I sense it. And it's like, no, I have to go back and do this. Right. And it's yeah. such a joy when you get the chance. Cause sometimes you don't get a chance to go back and do it. Right. You just have to live with the fact that you did it wrong. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's, that's what that, that is. So I loved in that story, how this attendant who end up, who ends up, geez, who ends up dying in the end because he questions Elisha, but he's like, Oh, Oh, really? Tomorrow the famine's going to be over? Like, really? You expect us to believe that? What is the sky just going to open up and food's going to? Because I kind of have the same reaction. Like, the famine's going to be over tomorrow and everything's going to be plentiful. That's not how famines work. Like, you have to actually grow the food and it has to rain. And so I totally get what the, I totally get it. He's like, there's no way because because there's no way unless God rains food down or unless he's, not the God in the box that we think he is. And he does it in a completely different way. So that was one of the things that I, I thought was cool. Like I totally, I mean, I understand why the attendant questioned Elisha because how, and then to see God do it in a way that was completely not along the lines of how humanity thinks. Like we automatically, of course he has to just rain it down like manna. He's going to send manna. Cause yeah. really that's the only way, but he's got something else totally different planned. Yeah. Yes. And that's exactly, yeah. You can't predict you can, when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And the thing you can be sure of is that it's not going to happen the way you think it would happen Yeah, ever. It never yeah. happens <laughs> what you think it's going to happen. Yep. So what a fun way to like expect for him. Like what a fun way to like learn to expect him mm-hmm. is to like, be like, when you know, he's going to do the thing, you know, he's going to come through and it's like, oh. I can't wait to see how you pull this. Yes. Off, you know, expect the unexpected. Yeah. Um, I love the part where the woman comes, Elijah tells the woman to go back. Is that right? He just, in eight. Yeah. yeah. No, go back. To, yeah. In chapter eight, he tells her to go back home. There's so many good stories in second Kings mixed in with a horrendous, disgusting yeah. evil. Yeah. Like this story, all the good stories are God doing the miracles, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the, the woman who was faithful to Elijah and had given her hospital, had given him mm-hmm. hospitality. This is the woman with the oil, right? Uh, yes. The oil. Oh yeah. Cause the one was her flour son. and this one was oil. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And is that the same one whose son dies? Yeah. Well, the other? They both have sons who they died. They both have sons who died. Okay. One was Elijah. One was Elisha. This is oh, Elisha's. Okay. Um, story of the son yep. who dies and he brings him back to life almost exactly how Elijah had yeah. brought the other son back to yeah. life. Um, but then this son is about this, uh, in both cases, actually the woman offered hospitality and that's how they ended up mm-hmm. building relationship. Um, 
anyway, Elijah tells her to go back. He had told her to leave because there was that famine. And then he comes and he says, it's time to go back. And she goes back like how probably wondering like, where am I going to, how am I going to settle there again? I used to have a house and land. It's all got to be gone. And now she's got to like humble herself and ask the King for her property back. She was a wealthy Mm -hmm. woman. So she's got to go back and basically ask for it to be restored. And I can only imagine the conversations like she's preparing in her head, like for Mm -hmm. how she's going to ask and how hopeless she must think that it is. Mm-hmm. And it's such a story of Ruth that she just, that wow. Yes. She was the, just so happened. Yeah. Yes. It just so happened. The King had been speaking to Gehazi, the attendant of the man of God, which is Elisha saying, tell me all the great things Elisha has done. And as he's telling the story of this woman and bringing this man back, this boy back to life, this woman walks, walks up and he was like, oh, it's her story to tell. Let her tell yeah. you the story. And so she gets to tell him the story of what Elijah had done. And I mean, God just prepared it all perfectly. So. Yeah. That's really cool. We actually had a, a storytelling meeting for the storytelling ministry at church last night. And I was kind of like, um, I was asking them, I was like, Hey, for Thanksgiving, I'd like to do some short stories of things that people have um, experienced here at church or like in different ministries. And I was like, so if we could just take some time, quiet time and just reflect on stories that we've heard from people or whatever. And these two young women are kind of like talking under their breath to each other. And, um, I looked over and then like, they, it got like silent and weird (laughs) and, and they were like, but basically it turns out they had a story to tell and it's not just a little story. I mean, it's a profoundly beautiful and incredible story. And so we got to listen to their story and it's just, it makes me think of that. Like, I mean, it's totally unrelated. It is not like the miracle of what happened to this woman, but just, you're looking for a story. You just happen to be looking for a story yeah. and there's two with the most amazing, miraculous story, like sitting right before you. And there's the opportunity and perhaps the story that we're going to tell this Thanksgiving. So yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. That is cool. Actually reminds me I need to have a conversation with Pete. Okay. Let's go to Hosea, Daniel and Hosea. I actually read through Daniel this week, Daniel this week with this, like, blah, 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 visions, dreams, the end of the times, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay. That's hilarious. Cause I totally did too. I was reading. I, so after last week I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to read the rest of Daniel. Yeah. And this week I'm like, what in the world? Like what, why, why, why? And the other thing is it keeps, he keeps saying I think it's Gabriel most of the time that's talking to Daniel in these visions. And he keeps saying like, I've come to make things plain to you. Like he says that multiple times. I'm like, you liar. Like you are not, this is not plain. It's not plain. Hmm. What you said last week really struck me. So I was, I was really helpful. I know. And so I was like really hopeful that maybe this week there would be some cool. No. Okay. I will say Daniel, chapter nine was my favorite Daniel's prayer. Um, in chapter nine, I think that was no, for sure. That was the highlight for me of, um, Daniel this week and just how, okay. So one of the things we've written or one of the things we've talked about is that, that idea that all of this stuff that all of the stuff that we have watched the Israelites walk through like God's judgment on them is him actually keeping his promise. Mm -hmm. And Daniel literally says 
the that exact thing. Um, okay, so uh, several times, like all through this first part, um, you know, he's praying. He says, "You never wa- waver in your covenant commitment. Never give up on those who love you and do what you say." Compassion is our only hope, the compassion of you, the master, our God, since in our rebellion, we forfeited our rights. The solemn curse written out plainly in the revelation to God's servant Moses is now doing its work among us. The wages of our sin against you, you did to us and our rulers, what you said you would do. Yes. Um, You, our God had a perfect right to do this since we persistently and defiantly ignored you. So like this, like acknowledgement by Daniel that um, like you're right, God, like you are fully just in doing what you're doing, but I'm asking for compassion. Like I'm asking, I'm still going to ask for your mercy because I know that that's also who you are. Like just how much he understands God's character, because then right after that, he says, um, he's asking him, we confess that we've sinned following the lines of what you have always done in setting things right and setting people right. Please stop being so angry with Jerusalem. And then at the end of verse 17, he says, act out of who you are, not out of what we are, which that's mercy. Exactly. I mean, that's the definition of mercy. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that, that whole first half of Daniel nine was um, f- for sure my favorite and just seeing how just seeing how well Daniel knows God and his character and how willing he was to acknowledge their sin and to repent. And then to just ask God to get to act on like God's character is just and judge and he judges and he keeps his word and, and his word is that he's going, if they, if they behave this way, they break the covenant, then this is going to happen. But even he still says, but I will show mercy. And there was a thing, even in second Kings where I didn't mention it. Um, in second Kings eight, he's talking about Jehoram and he says, um, and Ahab's family, his line from God's point of view, an evil man living an evil life. But despite that, because of his servant, David, God was not ready to destroy Judah. He had after all, after all promised to keep a lamp burning through David's descendants. So that when just Mm -hmm. that whole, like God's, God's covenant is so, um, huge, like not just like one tiny piece, there's so many layers to it. And that, um, his yes. judgment is part of the covenant and his mercy is also part of the covenant. And um, seeing how Daniel just articulated that to God was pretty fun this week. Yes. My favorite line from that prayer. Um, I don't, Were you reading the end of it or the middle of it? Kind of all throughout. I was like hopping from one place to the next. My, my favorite part from that prayer is the last for, we are not presenting our petition petitions before you based on our righteous acts, mm-hmm. but based on your abundant compassion, mm-hmm. Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, Lord, listen and act my God for your own sake. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. He does act. Um,
I've been having a conversation with a friend about, um, like when we die, do we sleep mm. or are we immediately with God? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I mean, the reality is that, that we have such a small concept of what reality is. Right. We actually, we actually could probably depending on the number of dimensions that there actually are in heaven, be doing both. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Who like, knows? Who yeah. knows? It could be both, both and, um, but I just, the end, uh, because I've been having that, it just really stood out to me where he says in verse 13 at the end, but as for you, go on your way to the end, you will rest and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of days. Just made me think, mm, go to sleep, you will rest. Yeah. at the end you'll sleep and then you'll yeah. receive your inheritance. I know that. Oh, oh. So then you get into Hosea and I just noticed that there was a correlation between that and second Kings. I don't know if you brought that out or not, but, um. I don't think we talked about Hosea. Yeah, we haven't talked it, about it. It talks yet. about um, Hosea chapter one, starting in verse four. I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It's talking about Jezreel a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. And then I love that it has like a picture of Jesus. I will deliver them. He's talking about Israel and he's talking about how um, he's not going to have compassion on them. And he's, things are going to be rough. And but I will have compassion on the house of Judah and I will deliver them by the Lord, their God. I will not deliver them by bow sword or war or by horses and Calvary. And I like that. Cause that's all of what Kings is about. Like Kings mm-hmm. is all about war and horses and Calvary and them delivering themselves and them figuring it out. And God's like, I have a plan. I'm going to deliver it through the house of Judah. And it's not going to, it's not going to happen the way you expect it to. Right. <laughs> and it's going to happen from the poor as the messengers that go and discover it first and they bring it back. Like just, oh, he's so consistent. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yeah. And that whole connection to, to second Kings. I mean, we just read Yeah, Jezebel gets buried in the Valley of Jezreel. Right. Yeah. And Jehu. So my, the message doesn't even mention get buried. She gets eaten. She gets tossed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The message doesn't mention Jehu. It talks about Jezreel, but it doesn't mention Jehu. So that's interesting. It says, I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So this must be like, this This is in four. Chapter one, four and five. Yeah. I mean, this must be, Hosea must be a contemporary of all of that time. Yeah. So it said Judah's Kings, Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah is when, which are all. I mean, we're reading about it. We have read Mm -hmm. about it, but it's not the recent ones. The most recent things people we've heard about are Jezreel and Jehu. Right. right. Jehu is the King. So that's what it's, it still gets messy in first and second Kings, like all just figuring out who's where and yeah. Um, which isn't helpful yeah. when you come to the prophets and they're trying to right. get you, but it was <laughs> like, that was really helpful for me just to kind of like timeline place it in my brain at the very beginning of Hosea, because in the Bible, it's right after Daniel. And so that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Babylon, but Hosea is happening before that. Like they have not, he's during, he's during these Kings, right? So they have not, this isn't during exile. Daniel's Daniel's happening while they're in Babylon and Hosea's like yep. prior. So yes. Yeah. I'm glad you're help. You're able to keep it straight. Well, ish straight ish. Yeah. Timothy first Timothy 
first Timothy, we get, oh, okay. We're, I honestly don't have anything more to say than I think exactly what we said last week um, or last year around this mm-hmm. time. This is where we get into all of like the, this is what you have to do if you have women. This is, this is what the women are supposed to do. This is what the men are supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to treat the widows, widows over a certain age, widows under a certain age. This is what you do with elders when they're, this is why, like, yeah, uh, it's all very uh, prescriptive. Yes. Um, but I want to read this in light of it. Cause this came up in my newsfeed today as a devotion that somebody shared. And I think it's so applicable to this first and second Timothy. It says, and they shall not teach every man, his neighbor and every man, his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. This devotion is on Hebrews this 8, 11, Ezekiel, right? Isn't that from Ezekiel? I think it's either from Jer. I think it is from Ezekiel. It's either Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Yeah, yeah anyway. it's from a prophet we read recently. It says, "Our brothers and sisters in the first century church were the most radical Christians in all of history. They sold all of their possessions. They spread throughout the world. They lived to, for the kingdom. But you know what? They didn't get together like this and study Hebrews because Hebrews wasn't written yet. They didn't study the theological implications of Romans because Romans wasn't written." They didn't scrutinize the teachings of Jesus as recorded in John's gospel because John's gospel wasn't written. They didn't have the written new Testament, but they did understand the reality of the new covenant. They obeyed what the Lord was writing in their hearts and they turned the world upside down. Then when the new Testament was written and began to circulate throughout the church, it was a confirmation of what they were already doing because it was the same, the Lord, it was the same Lord who had been writing his will for them upon their hearts. Today, sad to say, many don't understand the new covenant. Our Trinity is God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Bible. Huh? No, that he's saying that's how we act. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we've lost touch with the Holy spirit and how the Holy spirit speaks to us moment by moment, because we've replaced his voice with the written word. Many churches and organizations study the Bible and are right in their theology, but they're dead right because there is knowledge for knowledge's sake. The New Testament was never intended to be an historic, intellectual, theological trip for people who like to fill notebooks, answer questions, and work on workbooks. That was never the intent of the New Testament writer. What was the intent? To provide a way believers could be confirmed or corrected in what they were already living out as a result of obeying the still small voice of the Spirit. The person who's really used by the Lord is one who simply says, you're going to tell me moment by moment what I should do, and Lord, I will just say yes to whatever you say. A whole lot of people have made the New Testament writings a new law, like Pharisees searching for jots, tittles, and interesting insights. They fall to the, they fail to see that the word was written to nudge them along in their walk and to confirm the voice of the Lord in their heart. Isn't that good? Mm-hmm. I was skimming through. Okay, so this was after the first thing in First Timothy, as I'm reading this week, that sticks out to me is in verse five, chapter one, verse five. The whole point of what we're urging is simply love, love uncontaminated by selfish, by self-interest and counterfeit faith, a life open to God. Yes. (laughs) Those who fail to keep this point soon wander off into cul-de-sacs of gossip. They set themselves up as experts on religious issues, but haven't the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence. It's true that moral guidance and counsel need to be given, but the way you say it and to whom you say it are as important as what you say. So I actually, I saw that and I'm like, man, I wish like we have talked about this. Like we're just like every single time we talk about this and I wish I've been, I wish I'd been tracking like every single time that I've seen in scripture where it's like, 
this, the whole point is love. Like seriously, yes. it's just love. Like this is it. Yes. This is the only thing. Which and, I know and we so, hear is like watered down. I used to hear that as like, yes. it's not love. Like it's about who loves and who's love. And it but is like, that's what it all yes. boils. Like that's what it comes. That's what it boils yes. down to. And that's why Paul's saying this at the beginning when he's talking to Timothy, because he's about to address all these specific issues and that specific thing. And he's like, dude, yes. just love them. Like, and just like you were just saying in that article, one of the other things I noticed reading through first Timothy and even through some of the other ones, like Thessalonians, there's a lot of talk of like, you already know what to do. Like yes. you guys all, you already know. So keep doing what you know to do yes. because you already know. And you're, and so I think that lends truth to what you're saying. It's such a delicate balance because I, I agree that we, that the, the spirit has taken a backseat to the word of God. We just have to make sure we don't take that too far and, and look at this, look at first Timothy and be like, well, he wrote it to first Timothy. So like it's not, it is relevant. And it is, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those, it's another one of those things where there's truth. There's truth in that. We just have to make sure that we don't take it to the extreme end of that truth. We just don't want to make it the law again, which is right. Right. We're using it as the law, which we are free from. We live under a new covenant. So we Mm -hmm. live according to the spirit and Paul would we've said it multiple times and we'll say it again. Like Paul would be appalled. Huh? <laughs> Paul would be appalled that we are using his letters to make more laws. Basically, like yeah. if you read his letters, the whole point of Galatians is freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah. You've been freed from the law. You've been freed from the law. And everywhere you see the gospel written, it's about, um, it's about Jesus and it's about what he did which is for freedom. It is for freedom that he says free. So it's just not mm-hmm. that like, we don't throw it out. That's not the point. And the word is authoritative for instruction. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's where we, but if you lose the heart of it, which mm-hmm. is the new covenant and the gospel, then you've lost the point. I mean, you miss it all. Yeah. Honestly, first and second Timothy, the epistles in general can be really hard if you don't read them through the heart and intention. Mm-hmm. Paul. This was another thing. So that in chapter one stuck out to me that Paul, that Paul's like, okay, Timothy love, like that's the the whole point of all of this is love. And then in chapter two, verse one, he says, the first thing I want you to do is pray, pray every way, you know, how for everyone, you know, pray, especially for rulers and their governments to rule well. So we can be quietly about our business of simply living in humble contemplation, contemplation. This is the way our savior God wants us to live. Hmm preach Annika. <laughs> That's so good. He certainly didn't want us to take this letter and go, Oh, we can help this widow, but we can't help that widow. Hey, right. Like, I mean, yeah. he would be heartbroken if he found out we were doing that. He certainly didn't do it. He didn't write this letter to shut every woman up in church. Like if he came back to a church where women were allowed to speak and we're feel like we're right. Like, that would break like, his heart. Come on. Yeah. yeah. He's like, did you not? I mean, are you reading? Did you actually read what I wrote? Like, yeah. Yeah. I've come to love Paul as much trouble as he's given me. He's both my stumbling block and my (laughs) mentor. Do you have anything else? I'm looking. I have lots of stuff under it underlined. Mm. I love that we have another Bible underlined. Mm Mm-hmm.
I like that um, in first Timothy, nope, second Timothy chapter one and verse six. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Like he's like, I laid on my hands and God gave you a gift. And if there's any mistaking what that gift is, it says it in the next sentence for God has not given you a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. He's but one of power, love, and self sound judgment. He's saying like, I laid my hands on you and the spirit of God came in you and he gave you a spirit of power of love and of sound judgment. Mm-hmm. I just love that. And that, and again, that goes back to the heart of what we're saying, which is like, rekindle that gift of God. Like mm-hmm. even that idea that we can rekindle the Holy spirit, that it, it's flame can be mm-hmm. um, fanned and never extinguished, never extinguished, but it can become an ember. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that idea that Paul's saying like blow on yep. it and what you're saying, yeah. where you ask them to pray, pray in all the yeah. ways. In verse 13 and I think it's 13 and 14, he says, so keep at your work, this faith and love rooted in Christ, exactly as I set it out for you. Like that's kind of that whole idea of, you know what to do. Like you guys, you know what to do. Just keep at it. It's Mm -hmm. as sound as the day you first heard it from me. Guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. That's the recap. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.